So July 4th weekend, I tend to like, or just July 4th in general, we celebrate namely freedom, and we live in a great country where we have freedom that many have fought for. I'm also reminded of the idea of freedom in really a greater way, because Jesus said in the scriptures that the truth will set you free or the truth will bring you freedom. And then he said that I am the truth. And ultimately he's saying in that, I'm the path to your freedom. And that's a starting place because this morning, as I mentioned earlier, is a, is a morning where we're zeroing in on, on communion and worship. And, and ultimately what that's all about is Jesus. That it's all about him because he's the one in whom and through whom and on whom all things hang. And this sort of story reminds me of, of, uh, of this reality and how important this is. And, and it's sort of a funny way to get into it. But remember when you were a kid and, and you liked to race? I don't know how many of you raced when you were kids. Most of us probably did. And you would say, you'd line up and, and you'd say, on your mark, get set go, right? We all know how that goes. And so you're a kid and you're lining up in your neighborhood and you got your friend or three friends or five friends or whatever it is. And you're kind of like, you have to ask the question, where are we racing to? You got to figure that out before you can start the race. And so you're like, okay, third tree, not on the right side, but on the left side, right? Or, or, or mailbox, second one down, do a circle around it, go across the street, touch the fire hydrant on the way back, touch the bumper at two houses down. And then you all, you know, you're coming back to here, right? This moment, you got to know all that, right? You got to know where you're racing. And then of course you're, you're there and you're, you're lined up behind the line on your mark, get set. And usually the person that says go is the first one to leave, right? It's like on your mark, get set, you know, go kind of thing, you know, sort of thing. And, 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 and you're just just consumed with it. You're consumed with where you're going. You're locked in. And I think this in life is, is, is an important question too. Where are you going? Where are you racing toward? What are you trying to win, if you will? And I think that's an important question because what we all know to be true is, is that we're running fast and furious through life. That our lives are full and busy and all kinds of stuff going on. We lose sight of what's most important quite often. We have to remember where we are going. So just the other day, uh, my family, I have two boys and my wife, Sherry, and, and we decided to go somewhere. We had a destination. It was Deer Hollow Farm. Probably no one knows where Deer Hollow Farm is. I don't know. But you probably know where Rancho San Antonio is, maybe. Yes? A few of you, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, we went to Rancho San Antonio, this big kind of park, and, and there's this farm that's, it says it's 1.3 miles, but I've done the hike, and it seems like it's 3.3 miles. That's what it seemed like to me. Maybe it was because it was 99 degrees out when I first did it. And, and along the way, um, our, our, our youngest son especially loves animals. And so we're like, oh, we'll take him to the farm. Well, we went there once, and it was just such a long walk. Anyway, we ended up getting a permit so that we can park closer. Long story, but here we are. We have this permit. So we drive up the other day, and we don't really know where to go. I've been there once before, but I parked in the normal parking lot and did the big hike. And this time, we get to go in, like, the secret path. And, of course, I drive up, and I see this authorized personnel only. And the gate's kind of open, but sort of, but not really. And I'm like, okay, I think this is it. So I drive through the gate. I'm like, I think me and Cher are looking at each other like, is this it? I don't know. So there's a road. It's kind of a, you know, a good-sized road. So we're driving our, you know, family minivan, right, that that I broke down and got, even though we only have two kids and don't really need a minivan, but I digress. So here we are driving our minivan. We're going down this road. And then the road starts getting smaller. And we're seeing these people kind of hiking, right? They're walking and, 
you know, they're probably sort of jealous. I don't know. But um, we're driving, and we don't really know where to park, so we're just kind of inching our way in. And then the path's starting to get smaller. And then the, the, the car path merges with the walking path. So we're on the same path as all these people. Now, it was Friday of July 4th weekend, July 3rd, I guess. And so people were off of work. So it was packed, crazy, busy. And all these people are walking down the path. They're all on the path. And here comes this big gold copper colored minivan. Looks like a spaceship, right, coming down the path. And they're like, what is this car doing? I don't know what they're thinking, but they're all looking at us, every single one of them. And Sherry's literally sitting in her seat just like, like, like hiding herself, sliding down in her seat. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't just embarrass me, you know, and I'm putting my hat like, you know, Bill over my head, you know. Maybe they'll think I'm a celebrity or something because I'm covering up my face. I don't know. But I'm driving, and literally every person, kid, parent, old person, hiker, runner, biker, whoever, they're all looking at me, and, they're, and they have that face. You know what face I'm talking about? Like judgment all over their face, right? You, you've, you've experienced that face. You've probably like expressed that face somewhere along the way. But they're all looking at us, and I'm just thinking to myself, why don't they just stay on the path, right? And, and, and just let us come through and just move off to the side and stop looking at us, right? And it got me to thinking, like this is life sometimes, that, that we're on the path, we're on the right path, and anything that comes down the path, anything that comes along the way, we get distracted. We get distracted by anything, and we lose sight of the path that we're on, the destination, the end that we're going for. I love this quote from, from Thomas Burton that kind of brings us home. He, he says this, your life is shaped by the end you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. Your life is shaped by the end you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. Now, before you get too theological, I'm going to go, no, wait, Steve, we are made in the image of God. He's wrong. Well, this is actually pretty biblical. Just stay with me. Because what Merton is saying is whatever it is that's out there on your ready, set, go, whatever it is is your destination, your end, that is the most powerful thing that shapes you. It shapes who you become. It shapes who uh, what your heart becomes, the kind of person you become. So we have to ask the question, what's our end? And this is a really important question to life. It's a really even more important question to, to those of us who are followers of Jesus. And we all have a common destination. What's our destination? Not a trick question. Shout it out louder. Jesus, heaven, I heard, yeah, both of those are right. Yes, both, right? Jesus, heaven, right? You can always get those answers right in church. And those are both true. And, and to take one kind of more nuance with it, right? Yeah, it's Jesus. It's the face of Jesus. It's the face of the son of the living God. Because it's all about Jesus. He is everything. He's the essential character of all time and eternity of all history. And your life, this is what you've been created for, your life is about knowing and following Jesus. I know that's really simple, but we forget that. We get distracted. We lose sight of our destination. We're on the path and we lose sight of it. And I love what Romans 11 verse 36 says about this. It talks about Jesus being the beginning, middle, and end of the journey. It says, for from him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, and to him, Jesus, are all things... For all things originate with him, Jesus, and come from him, Jesus. All things live through him, Jesus, and all things center in and, and, to, and consummate and to end in him, Jesus. To him, Jesus, be glory forever. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus. And we find ourselves in life 
trying to climb up the ladder, whatever our ladder might be. We find ourselves in life with a different end in mind, and it shapes who we are. It shapes our heart. It shapes what we desire. See, life is about Jesus. That's who he created you for, the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's all about him. And for for us as followers of Jesus, if that's what you are, we must determine in our own hearts and with our own lives that we will seek after him. That we will seek his face to know him and then reflect him. 1 Corinthians 13, it's a passage that's about love, and you often hear it read at, at weddings and sometimes in church too. But there's two little verses tucked in there that sometimes get hidden. And Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, right now in this life, in this time, now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then one day out there, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, we get to know in part, get a glimpse of Jesus. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You see, your life is on the path to one day seeing fully the face of Jesus the son of the living God. That's where we're going. That's our destination. That's our end. And and the scriptures declare to us to align ourselves with that reality and let that reality, that person shape us. Because what Merton is saying here is the most powerful force that's shaping who we are is is what's at our end, right? And, And it's Jesus. That's how God created it to be. And so for us, we have to determine that that is our end, Because we weren't made for temporal things. We weren't made for earthly things. Our soul was made to hunger and to thirst for Jesus. Our soul was made to see the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. This other guy I love reading. I read all his stuff from years past. A.W. Tozier, he, he says this. He says, God formed us for his pleasure and so formed us that we, as well as he, can, in divine communion, enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. Follow this. He meant us to see him and live with him and draw our life from his smile. I don't really know anybody who talks like that these days, but that's beautiful. And one of the things he's saying there is this is a two-way street. This is a two-way street. Yeah, it's our task to fall in love with Jesus, but you know what? Jesus is waiting to fall in love with you. And he takes great delight in that. This is intimacy breeding, intimacy breeding, intimacy. This is about drawing near to God and him drawing near to you. And too often in life we go and we sit at another table and we eat a different kind of meal and we're left starving or, or we go to a certain fountain or, 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 or where we get drink and we're drinking from the wrong fountain. And Jesus says, I am living water. I want you to drink from me and then you'll never thirst again. And our souls are left dissatisfied, unsatisfied because we're not eating from the right table and drinking from the right fountain. And Jesus is saying to us, and he says this on the cross and he says this with his life. He says, I want to give you healing and redemption and restoration and forgiveness. I want you to experience belonging and a sense of worth and value for who you are. I want your identity to be rooted in me and my love for you and who you are as I see it. And that can only be found in me. That's the truth. That's the path to freedom. That's the focus 
of who Jesus created you to live for, the end. And for every person who finds him and knows him and lives in that journey, you begin to experience deeper, growing satisfaction. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can relate to God. We can relate to God as the creator or the savior or the Lord or the master or even the judge or redeemer. Those are all amazingly good. But one of the ways we can relate to God and we're invited is around this idea of friendship. That God's longing is for you to have God as your best friend. And that might be a little weird for you to think about. I don't know. But think about the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. They have this intimate friendship, relationship with God. Everything is ideal. Right? There weren't rituals or ceremonies or religion. Just a simple, loving relationship between God and them. Unhindered by guilt. Unhindered by fear. And Adam and Eve delighted in God. And God delighted in them. We were made to delight in God's presence, to to be walking continually with him, intimately connected with him. And that relationship was lost in the garden. And if you look back, even when you think about the the Old Testament, there's not really that many cases where we hear this language of friendship with God. I mean, there's a few. You have Abraham and Moses, which are called friends of God. You have have Noah and this guy named Enoch and Job, who they say walked with God or had friendship with God or intimate relations with God. Most of the Old Testament people, though, you you don't get that snapshot. And then you get to the New Testament, and Jesus comes on the scene because things have been broken. He comes on the scene, and he changes the whole situation. Because when Jesus came and died on the cross... It tells us that the veil from top to bottom was split. And that was a symbol of our separation from God, and it was split from top to bottom, indicating that the direct access to God was now available. This was much different than Old Testament times, than pre-Jesus times, because the priests had, you know, in the Old Testament, they had to spend hours preparing, preparing to go into the Holy of Holies, to experience God's presence. And now Jesus comes on the scene and he makes a way for all of us, you and me, to have access to God in every way, every day, every moment, any time. Romans 5 verse 11 says this, So now... We can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And then Jesus says in John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. And this term friend isn't, that doesn't entail this idea of acquaintance or, or casual relationship. It's more the word of what a best man in a wedding would be or someone on the king's inner circle court. Because in royal courts, the servants were kept at a distance from the king. But the inner circle of trusted friends enjoy this close contact, direct access, confidential information even. And I love what the scriptures say just utterly clearly. He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. It's absolutely clear, unquestionable in the Bible. You see, God deeply desires to know you and for you to know him intimately. In fact, he planned and orchestrated all of history so that that would be fostered in your life. The very details of your lives. One translation in Acts 17 says, God made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God. 
And not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He wants you to find him and then know him. He wants you to seek him and determine in your heart, he's the end. And let your entire life be shaped around that. You see, knowing and loving God is our greatest privilege. And being known and loved is God's greatest pleasure. That's what we get to live into. Jeremiah 9 says, If any want to boast, they should boast that they know and understand me, God speaking. These are the things that please me, that you know and understand me. I love that. And I think sometimes it's easier to relate to God like master, servant, or or even father, child, or, or created, creator, created. But on the cross, Jesus says, I want you to be a friend. I want to remove the separation that exists between humanity and God. And from the very beginning, God gave us a desire to seek after this end. The Psalms are filled with examples. David passionately desired to know God above all else. He used words like longing, yearning, craving. He ached for God. In Psalm 27, he said, The one thing I want from God, the thing I seek most of all, is the privilege of meditating in his temple, living in his presence every day of my life, delighting in his incomparable perfections and glory. Wow. In another Psalm, your love means more than life to me. And then you have the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is is Philippians 3. And about midway down in the passage, I mean, you realize what Paul is saying, that nothing, nothing mattered more to Paul than knowing Jesus. One translation says it this way, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, Jesus, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. See, here's the truth. You are as close to God as you choose to be. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to me, and God will draw close to you. Draw near to God, and God will draw close to you. If you go, I feel so at a distance from God, what I would ask you, and perhaps as a word of challenge for you, is are you stepping toward him? Are you drawing near to him? Are you doing your part? Because his promise to you is when you draw near to him and you make him your end, he will move toward you. When you say, hey, I want to cultivate relationship and intimacy and connection with you, I'm going to move toward you. I'm going to draw near to you. You see, intimate friendship with God is a choice. It doesn't happen by accident. It was made available to us in the cross, but we must intentionally receive his grace and seek his face. So you must decide that you're going to make your end to know and follow Jesus. And when you turn your face to him, you realize his face is already turned toward you. Some of you know some of Sherry and I's story with, with our youngest son who's on the autistic spectrum. And one of the, the truths of autism, autistic kids, they, they, um, they have a hard time connecting with eye contact, what they call referencing, right? So the, t- the typical kid looks at their parent for cues in life. And they learn how to relate and how to engage in the world. And what autistic kids tend to do is they look not to their parent, right? They tend not to make eye contact. In fact, if you look in their eyes, they look away most of the time. 
And they look to the world all around them, everything but a person, everything but their parent. It's kind of an odd, atypical behavior. But I've had these moments now, Holden's five, and and he's made some progress in different ways. And I've had these moments where Holden is, is starting to turn to dad or mom. And you have these moments where he goes face to face with you and there's a connection and you feel it. And he's still nonverbal, so he doesn't say words, but you feel the connection. It's so like almost tangible. And it's those moments that Sherry and I celebrate. It's those moments that bring great delight to us. And I would think, although I don't know what he's thinking, I would think that, that he has some level of that going on inside of him too, like any kid would, this connection with mom or dad. And I think of our relationship with God, and, and, and I'm guilty as much as anybody of this, of, of God's face is turned toward us, and he's longing to make that connection. And we keep turning away. We keep looking to the world around us. We keep getting distracted by all the other things. And Jesus is saying, I want you to look at my face. I want you to, to, to see me face to face and experience me and experience that connection. And God wants to foster that. He never forces it, but he wants to foster that and cultivate that in your life. Because when that happens, there's great delight going both ways. See, God loves you. And he deems you his son and his daughter. And he deems you worth, worth more than anything on this planet. You are his treasure. You are the one he loves, the one he delights in. No matter where you've been or what you've done or what you're going through, Jesus says, I love you. Jesus says, you are worth every ounce of blood I shed on the cross. And what we have to come to terms with when we look at Jesus is we have to go, is it worth every effort? Is it worth making Jesus our end? Is it worth the pursuit of seeking his face? Is it worth saying, God, I want to know and follow you because I believe you are everything and everything hinges on you and you created me for an intimate relationship, friendship with you. I know one thing. I know for Jesus it was worth it. I know for Jesus, because we can look at the cross and we can tell so utterly clear, I know that for Jesus it was worth every ounce of blood that he shed, all the mocking, all the pain, the abandonment of his own father to pay the price for our sins, to, 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 to create a bridge between the separation of man and God. And, and as we enter into a few moments of communion this morning with Jesus, I want to read a passage from Matthew chapter 27 that just gives us a glimpse of Jesus and tells us and reveals to us how worth it, how worth you are to him. Matthew chapter 27, verse 27, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, and he gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on. Then they led him away to crucify him. I jump down to verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. 
In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. All these people mocked him. He stayed silent. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I mean, this is just one small glimpse of the price that Jesus paid for you. Because the love he has for you. Because he wanted to break the curse of sin. He he wanted to, to, to stop the separation between us and him and build a bridge. And it's at the cross that he made that possible. And so this morning, we want to invite you to participate in communion, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And this is a significant thing and, and something that Jesus reminded his disciples to, to do, to participate in. And the key word here is to remember. Because what communion is really about is remembering this moment like this, remembering Jesus on the cross, remembering all that is encompassed in that. And so you, you participate in the, the cracker or the bread that symbolizes his body broken for you. And you drink the juice or the wine as, his, as a symbol of his blood that was shed for you. And you remember. You remember that he came to forgive you. He came to promise you eternal life with him. He came to give you life and freedom. He came to bring healing and redemption and restoration and transformation. And he says, come to me in communion and take the bread and dip it in the juice and take it in remembrance of me. As an act of worship, as a holy moment. I want to invite the band to come back up. Because in the next few moments, I want to invite you. There's two communion stations off to each side. And as these next few songs play, whenever you're ready, you can go to one of those stations. You can take a cracker and dip it in the juice or the wine as an act of worship, as an act of remembering of Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done for you. So when you look at the cross, when you look at Jesus, when you look at what he did, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you of everything. He he wants to spend not only eternity with you, but but tomorrow with you and today with you and every day with you, walking near to you. So as these songs play, I invite you to participate in both communion and worship and singing and deep gratitude. Because when we see what Jesus did, gratitude explodes in our hearts. We really see it, understand it. We experience that grace and our lives begin to reflect goodness and grace and love to others. And that's the hope. That's the hope of the kingdom of God coming to earth. Let me pray. Father, as we move into a time of communion, may we remember who you are and what you've done. May we remember that we are your treasures, your treasured sons and daughters of the King that we are royalty, that we have an inheritance that only you can give. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us.